Welcome to the Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Waff. Oh, we're still in May. Go boom. Boom. Or not. Or bust. Or something. <laughs> or something. Because you read on your app, it's the bar wars from 1997. Uh, unlike some of the other ones that we mentioned before, this one had, um, I mean, like last week, I guess, right? It had a nice return, right? Yeah, not bad. It probably, you know, it was just $25 million to make and it grossed, what, 40 Yeah, something like 50 55 something like that. I was reading it yeah. really quick. This is uh, directed by Peter Hewitt, who you may know did uh, Bill and Ted Go to Hell, or is the it's, a, it's officially known as Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Right, and we, all, we get an Alex Winter cameo. We do get it on television, yeah. <laughs> This is directed by Rachel Talalay. I mean, I'm sorry, produced by Ra- Rachel Talalay, who you know is director of the of Freddy's Night. Uh, see, it's Freddy's Dead, right? Is it the, it's that sequel, the fifth one? Yes, or Freddy's sixth, Dead. Fifth one, whatever, which one? The one with Yafit Koto. <laughs> yes, the one with Yafit. This cast, all right, you, you got big names in this. You got John Goodman a year before his 98 breaking out with Big Lebowski. Fallen, which is something you and I talk about like off mic a lot or have anyway. Yep. And a, speaking of a movie that didn't do particularly well, Blues Brothers 2000. But those were three really big movies for him. And this is a year before that. He's still in the midst of, he's still doing Roseanne at this point, right? Yeah, he was still doing Roseanne. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this came after some things. I mean, he'd been in like Barton Fink. Obviously, he was in several Cohen films before this. But I mean, really, I would say like, for me, when I thought of John Goodman before this movie, obviously Roseanne, but Matinee. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was kind of maybe his biggest movie at that point before uh, before this time period. Yeah. And then the next year he would do the probably his biggest feature, and that was the Flintstones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I kind of try to forget that. <laughs> well, he didn't. He made a lot of money. Yeah. I just say it's one of those. It's like. I don't know, man. Honest to God, dude. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen, I don't know if I've ever seen it all the way through. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's, it's, it's exactly what it is supposed to be. I think, I think I mashed the two of them together. They're like one movie. There's because the second one is Viva Rock Vegas. Is that right? Right. Yeah. I think I just kind of, you know, I've, I've seen parts of them and they're just one movie in my, in my head. Yeah. And they, they were, the, all, all four main characters were completely recast. Yeah. Right. Also in this movie, you get Jim Broadbent who is in a ton of BBC and other uh, British films, but you may know him best as... From the Potter movies? Well, I mean, he's in those, yes, but I was going to say specifically, you might know him best from Hot Fuzz. Oh, I was going to say, wouldn't you know him as Boss Tweed in Gangs of New York, you Scorsese people? <laughs> Scorsese. I don't know, something, yeah. I, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Jim Broadbent plays Inspector Frank Butterman, who runs the, uh, the village that Simon Pegg goes to. And also probably the most underrated performance in the entire movie is Mark Williams. And Mark Williams, who you also know from the Potter movies, he played uh, Ron Weasley's dad. Right. But in this, he is Exterminator Jeff. <laughs> Dude, Exterminator Jeff rocks. He's so good. He's still super funny. And, and like I said, you're, you're going to see a lot of uh, British faces in this movie that you may not know names of because I don't know them all either. Right. Uh, was it Celia Emery? Is that is that how you pronounce her last name? Uh, she 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 plays Homily Clock, uh, Broadbent's wife. Uh, dude, the, when she first showed up, my first thought was, "Oh my God, she's in the pod race in Phantom Menace." Yes. 
I love I because I hadn't seen this movie since it came out, and I've seen uh, the Phantom Menace since I've seen this movie. But the pod race is something that always comes up, right? Like when they show like any it, like it's the highlight of the movie, obviously. Right. <laughs> so when they show it, they're always showing the pod race, and I literally saw her face, and I laughed out loud, and I said, "Oh my god, I'm going to actually get to talk about a Star <laughs> Wars movie," and Corey's going to be like, "I fucking hate the Phantom Menace." <laughs> but there shit. she is. <laughs> Celia Emery from The Phantom Menace. There, no said about that. What's your favorite movie that she's in? Oh, not Phantom Menace. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, she she's great. I mean, dude, she's great. Goodman, obviously, Broadbent. Uh, Hugh Laurie shows up. He does. He, Officer Steady. <laughs> As Officer Steady. And, dude, he is... His his interactions with Goodman, they're, oh, they're, so good. they are so funny, man. Yeah, it, it's really good. Um, also, the the kid in this, not you know the one. Uh, the, yeah, the no uh, or the or the or the or Pete. Sorry, okay, yeah, Pete. Yeah, Pete. He's in Jumanji, isn't he? Uh, I think so. But he's in Jumanji. Something else he was in too. I'm, I'm kind of blanking. Yeah, he on. is in Jumanji. He uh, is also in. He's he's in. Um, he's as the voice of Chip in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, it's weird, man. Now that I'm thinking about it, and I don't know that I thought of it while I was watching the movie, does he not have a British accent? He doesn't. He doesn't? No. Right. Like, he's an American kid. It's weird because his parents do. No. Do, no. No, they don't. They're, they they're don't. Americans. They're, that's what they're, everybody's American. The, the, the four American voices are, are Goodman and the family. Right. The, f- the full-size family. <laughs> the regular-size family. Funny because the parents disappear so early in the movie that I kind of just forgot about it. And then I was like, because obviously Goodman, who has the majority of the dialogue from that point as a non-accented actor, because Pete doesn't really say a whole lot right? until <laughs> even through the movie, because we're back and forth with him. He's here and there, but most of his scenes uh, are with Goodman and uh, Mark Williams. Right. And they do most of the heavy lifting. Right. But yeah, Pete, he's good. He's 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 a believe he's a good kid actor, right? Yep. Ironically, he was actually in a couple episodes of Roseanne also. <laughs> well, what doesn't that make sense? Yep. At some points he looks like the older brother from the Wonder Years with dark hair. A little bit. Most of his work though, as he got older, became lots of voiceover work for television, but he also was the original voice of Tales from Sonic the Hedgehog video game. So how about that? And he's really good in it, you know, considering how often he's acting against something that's not there. Right. He does a really good job of that. That's a strong attribute for a young actor to be able to do that and still be believable. Oh, yeah, man. This movie, like we were texting back and forth while we were watching it this morning. How awesome is it, man, that they literally built all these oversized props, man, and these sets, these set pieces. Yeah, everything. I mean, obviously there, you got your blue and green screen going on, but you almost don't even notice it. I mean, actually you don't notice it. The only time you really get to it is when the, at the the very end, when they're taking care of business with uh, John Goodman's character, I won't get into what happens. Yeah. That one point where, where Broadbent is standing on his arm. Right. And you're getting that terrible tracking and it's like terrible. It's, you know, they do their best, but it's the only time the effects and the illusion is broken where you just kind of, Oh man, because it's the first 85 minutes of the movie are just so well executed. Yeah. But yeah, as soon as I see the oversized props, I'm like, that's so bitching. It's just like, like would you see the paper clips that are hanging around? Do right. 
that kind of stuff you would see anyway, even their green screening things these days and, and CGing all the big props. But with this man, it's, it just reminded me of when and the incredible shrinking woman came out and you go to universal studios and you would see all the props sitting out in the open. Oh yeah. On the giant telephone and the, the giant cups. It was, that was so even in 97, that was becoming more and more rare that they were doing that because they were really starting to utilize um, CG and, it's something that we talked about during Ball Soldiers. You were, you were seeing more CG, and we talked about how much the plan was to do mostly puppets and that, and they did a lot more CG than anticipated. But this, what CG do you see in this movie? Not a lot, man. Yeah, I would say maybe again when we get to that end sequence. But I don't know, man. I, even that wire removal, at, at, you know, maybe some yeah, yeah right? sky changes, maybe you know, but it's very very limited. Yeah. This is like old school 80s fantasy filmmaking and it shows, but it, it works with 90s technology. It just, like I said, you always feel like you're part of that world until you get that real kind of kooky moment towards the end. But man, it's when you've got a fantasy like this, when you're dealing with these family called the borrowers and they're just tiny little people. And if you grew up around our age, there was a cartoon that kind of took off this called The Littles. But it's just these little people living in our world. Right. The only thing I take umbrage with is the name. <laughs> well, I was going to say, for, for you, those of you who don't know, The Borrowers is based on a, a series of books. It seems to be like, the, it's funny because uh, I want to go back to when we, back when we did uh, Dark Disney, right? We started with the Oz book. It seems like we've covered a lot of literature yeah. <laughs> since then. Yeah. But the borrowers, the whole deal is, right? The borrowers live in the world of the beans. Hence the name borrowers because they borrow from the regular sized people so that they can survive and live in the world uh, without being squished. Yeah. They live amongst us, man. But, but let's talk about the borrow aspect of their name. <laughs> If you're snatching a double A AA battery that can't be recharged, you're not borrowing, you're stealing. Uh, I mean, yeah, technically. There's sure. even an argument that we're not stealers. We don't steal. We borrow. Like, no, you don't, liar. You can give it back. It just, it'll be drained, but you can give it back. <laughs> I mean, it's not that dissimilar from, I'm, I have friends, and I'm sure you do too, who borrow stuff. And, you know, sometimes you'll get a jacket back covered in fucking sticky blood. Or, uh, or they, or just you don't get them back to, at all, or, 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 or they don't return it at all. <laughs> uh, but it's also no, it's not unlike to having somebody say, Hey, can I borrow five bucks? It's not coming back. Yeah, you're not getting it back. Sure, <laughs> it's man. gone, man. What made me laugh was that the family's name is the lenders. Right. I don't think I ever got that before till the end of this. Right. And it made me laugh. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, right. you know, right there on Shakespeare. He tells you. Don't do it. So, but these, you know, they're from a group of kids, but, and it's funny, this is another movie. And it's funny because last week's film, Small Soldiers was also universal. Right. Weren't we saying like up until really Fast and the Furious, (laughs) Universal, especially in the nineties, man, just couldn't figure out how to build a franchise. No. Out of, um, you know, out of the source material that they were working with. Everything they were picking was things that that were set up to be that like yes. the borrowers it's not just one book just like you said there's a series of books i think there's six yeah six from uh, mary mary norton's the author and there's a there's a ton of them i think there's like five more than yeah, that. five or six i, I don't know if uh, if you don't count the borrowers the first one you know i think i don't know if there's five sequels or four sequels so yeah 
Small Soldiers was set up that way. The Shadow. I mean, they had Dark Man. They had, uh, you know, <laughs> they had several shots at it. Right. But it's weird because I would say I like all of those movies. Same. Weird that they couldn't figure out how to piece these together. I mean, what's great about, dude, I mean, you had hit on it during, uh, you know, while we were watching the movie, the non-specific time set up. I right. mean, it looks like the 1950s. But is it really? Nobody really talks like the 1950s. Right. What, what prompted me to say that was I was kind of feeling it. But then when Goodman takes out his cell phone. Yeah. I was like, right. whoa, what is this? <laughs> yeah. You know, this kind of reminds me a lot of uh, Gore Verbinski's Mouse Hunt. Just right. the, the the look and the sort of vibe, you know what I mean? Right. That sort of world of the movie. But I love movies that are, you know, that, again, like Streets of Fire, <laughs> another time, another place. You don't know where it's at, really what's going on. And this movie fits right into that whole, like, that genre. And it's set up, dude, especially with the end of this thing. It's set up for a sequel. I mean, good God. It's funny that you mentioned Mouse Hunt because I mentioned it to you as Mousetrap. <laughs> I knew what years, you were talking about. All those years of playing board games, right? What's funny is last week, one of the co-writers of Small Soldiers is actually the, the writer of Mouse Hunt. And you know, I remember as Adam Rifkin, he got a nice big paycheck for that. It was a lot. It was like, it was back in those spec screenplay days where people could make a couple million off one script. And I think that's what happened with that. I remember that being a big deal. And, I was like, and it, was, it was one of DreamWorks' first movies. Yeah, it was wildly successful. Yeah. It was a big, I mean, it, it's, it launched Gore Verbinski. Yep. Yeah. And weirdly enough, another movie that we never got a sequel for. <laughs> Right. What's funny was this came out the year, like Christmas time before Small Soldiers, right? Is that right? Yes. Uh Something like that? Yep. But the borrowers and like, yeah, there's there's like, there's a whole group of movies around this time, like you said, where they can make kids movies, but still be accessible to adults where they're like going, oh, fuck, I don't want to go see that. That looks fucking terrible. Right. Well, yeah, it's, I feel like it's, uh, you know, because they come from these crazy, weird, like irreverent books oh, yeah. <laughs> from, you know, from the, like the fifties, like Matilda's another one that came out, I think the year before the borrowers, but you got Matilda, you got the borrowers, you got Indian in the cupboard, you got your Stuart Little, uh, Mouse Hunt, those kind of, uh, you know, that, that whole slew of like kids movies that they didn't alienate adults. They, they weren't so generic and neutered and dumbed down that, you know, it wasn't a purple dinosaur <laughs> dancing around <laughs> for 90 minutes. Thank God. Uh, you know, these are movies that, you know, as a, as a, as an adult, you could enjoy too, because there's enough humor and slapsticky sight gags and things for the, for young kids. The, the writing was smart enough for adults to be like, Oh yeah, I get that. Oh yeah. That was funny. You know, and you got the jokes and the innuendo of it all, you know, it's before all the, fun was sucked out of everything you know it's funny too is the two kids the two uh kids in the in this are ready yes like are you ready <laughs> are you ready and p green so it's the daughter and son respectively to homily and pod and pod i have to point out again this is some more harry potter going on here because <laughs> tom tom felton plays p green the son correct and you know him as the youthful and young Malfoy. And Malfoy, yes. It's so right. it, it's, and I didn't recognize him until I'm like, I had to like, I didn't recognize him through the whole movie. I got away to the end. I got to the scroll. I'm like, what? How did I miss that? Well, dude, he looks, he looks and sounds nothing nope. like Draco Malfoy. <laughs> no. Nothing. 
though. I mean, I didn't realize it until uh, until we got to the close up to the the bit in the dairy factory where he's in the bottles, and they're like, and I was like, wait a second, and I was like, no way, and I had looked it up right at that moment, and I was like, holy <laughs> shit, it is him. Uh, and it was only, I think it was because of the way he yelled up, you know, it was finally like the voice just sounded familiar at a certain, at a certain point, but hats off, man. And he's great in this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody is super fun in this. Nobody's like phoning anything in. You, know, you can tell oh, everybody's, no. everybody's come in with uh, under Peter Hewitt's guidance and everybody's there to play. Everybody knows what they're doing. And it also helps too, like we're talking about. And now I want to point out also. The parents of Peter, you know, the lenders, they are English. So almost everybody's in is really English except for the kid that plays Peter and Goodman. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. And then there's a, something to be said about the formal training that the British actors get. And I think that's probably why everybody just kind of, it's like a stage play for these, everybody. They all get dressed up and go out there and do their thing. And it's, and it, absolutely. It just feels, it's, it's a very, it's like slipping into a warm bath, man. It's like, it's like super, it's, it's just, well, it's, it's a comfortable movie. It never feels like you're, um, it never feels forced. Everything nope. just feels natural. And then it's, that's hard to get in 1997. It's hard to yeah, get man. a movie like that where it doesn't feel like tuning cooks in the kitchen and you have little missteps like with small soldiers has its moments where there's too much involvement. I got a feeling that borrowers never even saw a test audience. Yeah. That's my feeling. It just doesn't feel like it had any kind of that kind of interference. Not at all. Uh, I was going to say, I want to, I want to th- throw this out because it, it would be criminal not to mention. Um, it's basically a glorified cameo, but it's so good is I just want to say, uh, I want to throw it out there. Ruby wax as the town hall clerk. <laughs> that, yes. Uh, Goodman has to deal with. And um, if you don't know who Ruby wax is, um, she's an English actress, but when immediately when I saw her, it took me right to shock treatment, yeah. <laughs> which is, <laughs> If it, you guys probably already all know, it is the unofficial sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show. But the moment I saw her, I was like, oh, my God, I got to watch Shock Treatment now. Damn it. But she's so great in her bit. I mean, she kills it. And she's super funny. She's a very accomplished comedic writer, too. Yes. I know everybody's out there. May not have seen it, but absolutely fabulous. She wrote on that yep. show for 20 years. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> The whole run of the show, she was the script editor and worked in the writer's room as well. That's that, that's substantial, man. That's, what, wouldn't you like to have a job where you're a writer for 20 years? That'd be amazing. Right? Same show. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, what's funny is uh, Celia Emery was also in a handful of uh, episodes of AbFab, which I'm sure if I went through and looked at most of these people in this cast, they <laughs> probably, probably all were in AbFab at some time. <laughs> yes. But, you know, but yeah, man, Ruby Wax, uh, fun little bit. And, uh, you know, she's a familiar face. You're going to recognize her and be like, oh, didn't you know, might not know her name, but you know that face and you know that delivery. One of the things we talked about there in the process of rebooting this or remaking it, but I'm kind of like, I'm hesitant, but here's a plus. Working title put this out in 97 and they're the ones that are re- that are doing the remake or reboot. Yeah. That's a little more comforting. You know, it, it's still, I mean, here's the thing. It's still Universal is still their parent company and all that, but it's still based in the UK. And I have to just, it's, it's more positive than if it was DreamWorks trying to do it, you know, or somebody else that didn't have the property. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, Walt DeFeria, I wonder if he's going to be involved because he seems to be involved in all things borrowers from like the beginning of time as far as like, <laughs> you know, this being made into anything. 
because he was the executive producer on the uh, the TV, the miniseries from 92, which I think I'm sure was BBC, where Ian Holm played Pod. Then he produced this movie. And then he went on to produce a couple animated uh, offshoots of The Borrowers, uh, The Secret World of Eredity, Eredity and The Borrowers animated series. So, you know, I'm, I'm just curious, maybe he is involved somehow, or I guess we'll find out. I mean, I was kind of, at first I was like, ooh, and then I was like, oh, but you know what, man, they could probably, this is, it would be an excellent limited series for one of these streaming sites. Oh, I think so, yeah. You know, especially with the stuff that they're dropping, uh, you know, that might, it might be the best thing that could happen to this property. We talked about the, how the movie feels, and part of the, how the movie feels is the image quality and, and the quality, but the, the images that we're seeing. And this actually has a two DPs associated with it. Um, one of them is Trevor Brooker, who is a Brit, and he's done some pretty fucking great movies. We haven't talked about it before on the show, I don't think, but The Fourth Protocol, he was on the camera crew for that. Yep. And uh, that's all you need to know about the kind of stuff that he does. But the other person also was John Fenner. Now, John Fenner, he's been in camera all his life, his whole career. But look at this run. The first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 90. Yeah. Muppet Christmas Carol 92. And Muppet Treasure Island 96. The Borrowers in 97. All those movies have a very unique, intimate kind of look to it. And he, I mean, he has a history of working with Henson because he worked on The Storyteller, which, oh man, I really wish somebody with some streaming service would get a hold of that and put them all out because he did nine of their, like, I think they had like 24 episodes or something like that. That storyteller was great. And also he worked on the Jim Henson Hour. He's had a reputation of being working in the kids world a lot, but he also was involved in doing wild geese. Dude, I was just going to say, oh, I love the wild geese. Dude, I haven't seen wild geese since like back in the days where home box office wasn't shortened to HBO yet. Like way back then. Right. Um, something you would have seen on the movie channel when the movie channel was a paid service. The wild geese and the sea wolves with Roger Moore. Another, uh, they, they, they were things that were on that and gray lady down those three movies. Yeah. <laughs> ran three times a day on home box office <laughs> back in the day. Yep. The thing is that about that, those movies and how it works, how it ties in with the borrowers both John and Trevor really have a very understood look they're going for. Like I said, we're there was no unevenness on how the movie looked or feels or the heartbeat is continuous. There's no there's no resuscitation. Yeah. At any point along the way, you it feels like one cohesive thing. And then like we're saying, that uh, symmetry that you're getting with the cast and performances, you're getting that from all the tech and uh, below the line crew. It really shows and it the only thing that's disappointing is the only way to watch this movie, unless you have an old DVD. Yeah, man. Is a non, it's, I don't want to, it's definitely it's not HD. format. It's, it, some, it's a weird format. To, I mean, right. It's, the, it's very soft. It's soft. Uh, it looks like it's 133. Cause it's not like, it's not like full screen. It's not like pan and scan because there's, there's right. There's letter. There's some kind of letterboxing going on. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like it, 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 like I told you, it felt like um, it looks like a BBC episodic yeah. TV series. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost feel like when they were getting ready to start paying, you know, the maybe working title reached out, were reached out to uh, all the streaming platforms, you know, the Amazons, the iTunes, that kind of thing, and said, here you go. This is what we got for you. 
I don't know. It's kind of disappointing. If anything, I want this reboot to happen just so we can get an updated Blu-ray. <laughs> just, yeah, absolutely. Right. Somebody shout, Hey, shout factory. It's us again. It's us again. <laughs> hey man, check out the borrowers. Find, go out and look for some stuff. I'm sure there's tons of stuff, you know, it's a John Goodman revival. <laughs> when you have a movie like this, where you have, it's so enjoyable and it's, and it's so, it's such a comfortable movie to kind of like get into. If it feels like nothing stands out. So there's not like, like, there's not like major highlights. No, you know, there's, there's, because it's just, it's telling a very simple story, even though it's a fantasy, it's still a very straight ahead, simple story. Yeah. It just, it just works. All of the sequences are fun and oh, yeah. engaging, right? Like, and it, and it goes from one to the other. I mean, I don't want to give it, I don't want to spoil the movie for anybody who may not have seen it. But like the rocket, that's all I'm going to say. The rocket, dude, how fun is that? Right. Just the ingenuity and the thought that went into the the props for these, for the littles, dude, for the, how about the, how about the helmets that uh, the two of them yep. have to wear on the rocket? Yep. When you first see Broadbent, him and the kids are in the kitchen, right? At the beginning of the movie, mm -hmm. you know, ready for food, his utility belt with the paperclip. I mean, you know, and it, it, it just his vest, the costume design. It's all so smartly done, man. This movie was really well planned out. Yep. And I love it's, it's a very immersive movie is what I'll say. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, uh, other than texting you a few times, I didn't look at my phone. Nope. I was literally glued to the movie because it, there's so much to look at. Uh, if this was a better print, I would look at it again. I mean, I have the rental for you know another two days. Yeah, same. I mean, I would just kind of watch it again just to look at the world they created because it's pretty amazing yeah. and, and very little CGI like we talked about. With all of the, the cast that we found to be in Harry Potter, and it's interesting to note that the very first Harry Potter book, The Philosopher's Stone, came out the summer of 97. So six, five, six months before this movie came out. And you have a character in their name, Potter, a prominent John Goodman's character. Yeah, Potter. I'm like going, hmm, I wonder if J.K. Rowling took that name from the book, you know? Well, you know, what's funny, man, is uh, when I saw his name, when, it, when his name was Potter, I immediately thought about It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. And because Mr. Potter is such a douchebag, right? Right. You know, Goodman's character, it, it, I thought it was kind of a, and who knows, because the book was written a few years after It's a Wonderful Life had come out. So maybe, you know, maybe she plucked that name for her villain based on It's a Wonderful Life. I don't know. It was just kind of one of those movie jumps that you make. Like, you know, if you've seen enough movies, you're like, oh, for me, it, I thought, it, I thought that was cool. I was like, oh, how cool. Like when he, when he looks at the lighter, right. Right. When Pete finds the lighter and it's like, oh, Potter. Oh shit. You know, and then he's the scene where he backs up over the bike is very Mr. Potter from Fuck It's a oh, Wonderful yeah. Life. Uh, lots of fun little uh, little bits in this movie. Um, it's weird, man. It's so bizarre that they just couldn't figure out how to get a sequel. I mean, maybe Harry Potter came along and, and dashed it. I, I don't know. It's, you know. I have to think that's what happened. I mean, considering the time frame of when the first book came out and they were snatching up the the rights to it once it became right. a phenomenon. I don't think before, I think even before the second book had come out, they were already like, all right, we're making these movies. Right. Oh yeah. I have to think that's what happened in this situation. Didn't Chris Columbus, isn't he one that got the rights? In, yeah. In I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that whole Chris Columbus, Harry Potter uh, thing next week. 
Yes, we will. <laughs> why? Why is that? I don't know, man. You'll have to tune in. We'll get into that next week. Yep. There, okay, there is something I wanted to talk about, but I'm I, I don't want to ruin it because it's like my, it's it's like probably my. I mean, there's so many nice things and fun things about the movie, but the very end, the end scene. Yeah, man, it's real fun. And dude, that the uh, the the sequence during the credits of Goodman yeah. uh, being uh, <laughs> well, he's booked. in jail. And the questions he's answering from you, Laurie, at the station, that shit is super funny, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, dude, the movie is, is one of those things. I mean, we don't get enough of this. We don't get enough of these movies these days because everything no. that's made for kids is made for kids, man. And even yeah, man. those kids are kind of like, what's this crap? A tootie ta, a tootie ta, thumbs up my ass, whatever that nonsense is. Yeah. No, no wonder nobody has any social skills. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a movie that, like, you know, I saw it. I mean, I was 26, 27 when I saw this the first time, yeah. and I loved it. Because, again, I knew the books, like I said, from uh, in my days of riff, reading is fundamental. You know, we picked a book, and I picked The Borrowers, because I think a teacher had read it to us during story time a few years, maybe a year or two before. And I was like, oh, I, you know, and I wanted to read more. And I think maybe, I, I don't remember which one she read, but I remember the title. I remember the whole deal. And I picked up the borrowers and then I got into the littles and all that, uh, those other kind of things. But yeah, it's funny, man. It's like, nobody takes a piece of classic literature anymore and makes a movie out of it. It's like, I mean, the Potter movies did it pretty well as far as, you know, creating immersive worlds and stuff. Yeah. You, even th those things to me after three, they just got, kind of progressively bland, you know, by the time they got to Deathly Hollows, I didn't care anymore. I mean, I was like, yeah, whatever. But yeah. I mean, I, I like them. I have ones that stand out more for me than others as far as the Potter series go. But what those, what those movies don't do that the borrowers does is it doesn't, it doesn't make, it's not too outlandish. Right. Is it's more believable to watch the thing that there's more the little people because of the way it's executed and the way it's performed and the way the movie looks. Sure. Than the fantasy, I mean, the the out the out of this world feeling you get when you watch Potter, and, and that's why it's okay because yeah, it's pure fantasy, but it's not grounded in our reality. Right. They spend so much time. This is the thing about it. In Potter, they spend so much time surrounded by magic. You know, yeah, and not, and, and so it's unrelatable to us. Like, yes, like the borrowers, I could totally be like, man, you know, wh why can't I find those fucking sunglasses? <laughs> Where is that lighter? You know, uh, well, dude, the borrowers took it. I remember, dude, I remember when I was a kid, I do, there was a point where I would like say shit to my dad. He'd be like, you know, where in the hell is that? Where's my can opener? Uh, maybe the borrowers took it. And then he's like, no, maybe you, now what do you know? I'm like, I don't know anything. <laughs> I think maybe the borrowers took it, you know, maybe it became like a, you know, I could slough things off on that. But yeah, I mean, it's funny because I feel like, uh, you know, it's one of those urban legends, like, you know, they're, they're among us. They live, you know, you know, you see things out of the corner of your eyes. Like, dude, when Pete is in his room and he, uh, he sees the borrower up, the girl up on his dresser with right. his toys. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And she just, and they cut to that wide shot and we see her move. Even the way they shot it, it could have just been a mouse. I don't know. I mean, maybe dude, right? sometimes when you, maybe sometimes when you think you see a mouse or whatever, maybe it's a little, who knows? Maybe they do exist. Another one of those things, because just how the movie looks, we're talking about that, that the idea that you don't know what time this is taking place. It is in the seventies. This is in the eighties. Maybe do a little research on like, 
Hey, when the hell was a double were double A double A batteries created? 1907. I had no idea. I got educated myself today. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what's funny is um because you can't put a stamp on it because you're looking at like the the actual battery that they do show is that is the battery from the nineties. Right. 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 The, the energizer, I think when you see it, that it's not, it's not like a battery from the fifties. It's, you know, it's, so they do a nice job of just blending the reality. You don't know. Right. And it doesn't matter. That's the great thing. It yeah. does not matter, dude. That's what, and I think that's it. I think it's the mixture of having batteries in there, having cell phones in Shit. there, having refrigerators dude. with built in, you know, ice shoots. Ice right. Cause that, that fridge is a seventies fridge. Yeah. So you, you, you're 80s. getting all flavors and, and, I mean, in 97 too, when the movie was, you know, being cut, even if you said they were shooting at the end of 96, I mean, even cell phones weren't that prevalent. They sure the hell weren't that small. No, no, no. So, so not only were you getting that, is this the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties? Yes. <laughs> it's all of those sure. things into the two thousands because you're not going to see phones like that until mid two thousands. Right. That's, I think that's why the movie's so... It, it is such a joy to watch is because you have, you, you can recognize, you recognize things from your youth. You recognize things from your tween years your, and then your teen years and your 20 somethings. Like when we saw the movie the first time, I mean, the movie came out, I had just turned 28 a few months before that. You were about to turn 28, right? Something yeah. Like something like, I think so. It came out in 97, this movie. Yeah. Oh, 96. Christmas time. Christmas yeah, time. Right. Right. Again. So yeah, I was getting, I was very close. It was like a month away. So like when almost you're, you think you're on the cusp of starting your, your third decade alive and it feels like a movie you would have seen when you're eight. Yeah, totally. It's a, you know, it's a shame that it, uh, you know, we didn't get more of these, uh, you know, uh, what I would say, I, I could go on and gush about <laughs> certain sequences, right? but this is really a movie, man. If you, if you haven't seen it, check it out because it's a lot of fun, man. I mean, yeah. it's brisk. It's 87 minutes all in, right? I think they called it 89 minutes. Yeah. But like you talked about before, they were super smart about it, knowing its audience, knowing the attention span. And there was more story that you mentioned, the, the Goodman and Hugh, Hugh Laurie story, when they're kind of moment where they're having their, their exchange about what John Goodman experienced the entire movie. And they're running that during the credits just to keep the movie under 90 minutes. Yes. And I just thought that was so, so smart. Yep. It also kind of was a nice little nod to the crew to force people to kind of sit there a little bit longer and watch the crew names pass by because that was good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. If you haven't checked out The Borrowers, that's kind of what this whole month is about, really, right? It's it's movies that were supposed to launch and become franchises, which kind of, they didn't go boom. They went bust, <laughs> but that doesn't mean they're not good movies. And, and I feel like this whole month is kind of a, uh, Hey, check these movies out, rediscover them. It's us, us kind of just, you know, we're not pushing them on you, but yeah. they're movies that I think you will enjoy for, you know, many different reasons, uh, if you haven't seen them. So I, I really like this movie. I wish there was a better copy of it at their shop factory. <laughs> so do something. Yeah. I forgot how fun it was. I mean, not forgot. Cause I, I think I brought it up when we were in the middle of us recording last week. I was like, Oh, I know what number four. It just came to me out of a, I don't know where yeah. I think it was because we were, something clicked my mind when we were watching uh, small soldiers. Yeah. But it, dude, you know, it's a fun movie. Yeah. And when you said that, I didn't hesitate. I'm like, yes, I think the best way to describe these, since we keep making the reference to booming and exploding, they, they were hoping these were going to be M eighties, these movies. Yeah. But they turn out to be black cats. Sure. 
that's not bad because it still explodes. <laughs> it still blows right. up. I mean, there, it's it's not like they made like the Heaven's Gate of uh, you know, no. kids movies. It, it did make money. It uh, you know, yeah. and I'm sure this movie probably was huge uh, in the you know DVD market. Yeah, back in ninety. That was just 99. starting. To, that was just yeah. starting to hit. I think with this movie, unlike the others, I think you hit it right on the head. The Harry Potter phenomenon said, all right, uh, literary um, shift went that way too. Cause that's when you started seeing a lot more young adult. It kind of led to the whole young, young adult market expanding and getting really big. But then once those movies started coming out, like who wanted to compete with that? You know? Yeah. It, I mean, and who could compete with that? Right. Once that first Potter movie came out, and it was a massive hit. There was like, if anything was planned, it got shelled. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard not to talk about Potter though, because it's so relative to the time. And also so many people in this movie. I mean, that's what happened, man. Maybe that's what happened. They couldn't do any more borrower sequels because everybody was too busy doing the Potter series. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? All tied up. Check this out. Like, if you can probably find a used DVD somewhere, you're probably better off than the streaming copy that's out there. It's only three ninety nine to rent. It's not a big deal, but I would highly recommend not buying it uh, the, by buying the digital copy because if it's this, you're going to be very disappointed in it because it's not. It's only about the aspect ratio. It just looks like somebody took a took it off. Uh, you know, a soft VHS at best. Yeah, it, I mean, like like I said, like yeah, some of the details not as sharp as I would have wanted it to be, like, yeah. especially when they're in the house in the beginning of the movie, yeah. in several of the sequences. I would suggest to say, yeah. if also on Letterboxd, you can follow me at Corey underscore Cult. You want to support the show on Patreon? Thank you, Patreon supporters. That's patreoncom KITG podcast. If you like to follow me, you can follow me at Tom Cody at Letterboxd.com. That's Tom Cody at Letterboxd. Cody. Oh, yeah.